we missed it. We missed it. I'm listen, by the way, uh, audience, I am uh, interviewing for a co-host. Um, I'm at one hour and two minutes and okay. 51, 52, 53. All right, I'm almost there. You want me to pause and you? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. You tell me when you're at 103.02 and count me up, Mike. All right. 103.02. It's going to be three, two, one, go. Okay. Hey, listen, if the transmission goes all together, you think we're going to be able to bluff I'm afraid to look at your screen. Okay. So now we learned that there's a roadblock ahead. Okay. And they, you know, there's no way they're going to get through it. So Burt Reynolds gets this great idea. We'll piggyback on the back is, of a truck. Is he, is he on a CB and is he talking CB shit? He's like, hey, 10-4, good buddy. It's a smoky. We, we got you a smoky. Uh, just the lightest little bit. Bandit. Okay, that plate is from the James Bond movies. It's um, Golden... Uh, I have it. I'm not oh. sure which two. I have it here. The man with the might, golden arm? It might be the fly who bugged me. <laughs> <laughs> That's their joke in this movie. Yeah. That's a real joke in this movie? Yeah. Someone put that in a screenplay and got paid for it? Yeah, <laughs> Bianca Jagger goes, oh my goodness, it's so hot. And he goes, I don't know. When I was in Cairo shooting the fly who bugged me. It was 130 in the shade. The fly who bugged me. <laughs> oh man, that's how the Peabody. That's how they won the Peabody Award. Drift slowly by. Can't you hear the steel rails humming? That's the hobo's lullaby. I know your clothes are torn and ragged, and your hair is turning gray. Lift your head and smile at trouble You'll find peace and rest someday Go to sleep, you weary hobo Let the towns drift slowly by You're in a nice warm box car, safe 
from all that wind and snow. So go to sleep, you weary Let the town drift slowly by. Can't you hear the steel rails humming? That's the hobo's lullaby. I know the police cause you trouble. They cause trouble everywhere But when you die and go to heaven There'll be no policeman there Go to sleep,
and welcome to the weekly review with Roman. Yay! It's Friday, April 16th, 2021. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, good to be back here on our Friday. We recorded, and by we, the, the general we, ooh, uh, the last show on this past Monday, and that is up right now on the server, so please do check out that episode, and we'll also update our page, weeklyrev.org. We're broadcasting live here from Mutiny Radio. We're on the corner of 21st and Florida, and we are in San Francisco, which is on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni people, who are the in- original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. And for more information, please go to weeklyrev.org. And on our land acknowledgement page, there's a lot of resources, places to donate, including the Segorate Land Trust, as well as threads of native news outlets to follow and more action items that folks can take to be in solidarity with indigenous communities. On the show today, I will be playing uh, an interview that I did uh, yesterday, and so excited. Uh, I spoke with uh, Shonda Ja, and so we just had a really great talk, and I really miss speaking with folks, and super grateful that we were able to have a very uh, enlightening conversation, and there's humor in it too, which is always important when talking about lots of issues that are just, can be incredibly heartbreaking and difficult, and how to navigate the world that is as it is right now. So I'll be playing that in just a bit. So please do tune in and yeah, really excited to share it and so uplifting. And I really appreciate speaking. Start off with some music as we usually do, change it up. I recognize that some shows have theme songs. I just uh, have not decided to do that. So I'll start off with a song by Pete Seeger called Hobo's Lullaby, and I picked up this record, a little uh, literal record, uh, at Community Thrift, because on the back they had some of the lyrics for that song, and including how uh, police cause trouble everywhere, and when you go to heaven, there will be no policemen there. And um, Yep, going to stand by that, those, those lyrics there, so I thought that would be a good song to open up the show with. And then following that was a more kind of uh, faster song, called Bedhead by Manchester Orchestra. And we'll be playing some more music throughout the show. And um, first, I'm just going to go ahead and play this interview. Yay. Yay. I'm excited to uh, to share it with you all. And here we go. I, the first part of it's cut off a little bit. But uh, here we go. And this is uh, Shonda Ja. New work identity. I'm no longer the executive director of the Oakland Peace Center. Oh. Um, I, yeah, I, we moved to a horizontal staffing structure at the OPC. So now oh. I'm a contract employee and the people that I brought onto the team are now my boss. Um, so it's really cool. It's really exciting. Um, and it's a huge change. I was the founder of that organization and, uh, there were a lot of blood, there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into it. And so I only handed my keys in. Uh, last week, and that was a whole thing. Um, so mm-hmm. now I am a freelance consultant uh, doing anti-oppression work um, and working with nonprofits, working with faith communities, uh, doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, or doing anti-oppression, or doing intersectionality work, doing community organizing even. Uh, in some of those spaces. So it's definitely more where my joy is. It's definitely more where my passion is. 
uh, these days. Um, I'm not a great administrator, and that's what being an ED mostly is. I see. So, yeah, so that's going on, and I'm also working on my next book. Um, so that's exciting. Oh, excellent. Can we, can we talk about your next book? Absolutely, and it ties into the event I want to talk to you about. So yes. um, my next book is on how connecting with the spiritual and cultural practices of our ancestors can equip us for the work of dismantling white supremacy. Oh. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. It's and I think exciting. it's true. I think it's true for white people as well as people of color. And that's some of what's um, interesting to be playing around with is how we identify ancestors, which ancestors have been withheld from us, mm -hmm. how we help heal our ancestors. Yeah. Um, so all of that's part of the work. I don't know if that's stuff you've thought much about before. Um, definitely. I mean, I feel like I didn't really, um, so I'm just for listeners or whomever, like I'm, I'm Ashkenazi Jewish and my grandparents came over from Eastern Europe and I didn't really, I know I knew one grandparent and that's, so I feel like I have some sense of where I came from, but also not so much as to beyond a certain point, um, Sorry, I can kind of hear myself a little bit, so it's a little bit distracting. Um, yeah, I definitely have thought about it a lot with wanting to, like, wishing I could have known them and or known their struggle and, like, knowing a little bit from what I've heard from what they went through, especially my mom's father and yeah. his family and, and what it's like just to lose family members and to die. And even though I didn't know them, I still feel like my mom carried from her father some, you know, some of those genetic, those feelings, uh, the, um, uh, and it's, I inherited some of that as well. So yeah. just think about epigenetics, I guess, is what I was thinking of. Yes. Uh, it's something to definitely, and like how many folks, cause it's like the world just, there's always been always like, as far as I know, like violence and trauma that more people than not have experienced. And then we hold it within us and it's still happening this day in various ways. Um, especially in this country. So like, how do we continue to go about our day while holding what the, has happened in the past and what we've inherited? Yes. Yes. I think that's absolutely right. And I think there's something about, it's interesting because I think as I've been thinking about this, I'm living in this tension of our ancestors weren't perfect. And so this idea of kind of reconnecting to our ancestors isn't kind of a magical solution to a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and they did an awful lot of things in order to survive. And they made yes. decisions based on the desire to make sure that we would exist. Um, mm. And so where do I, where do I embrace the wisdom uh, and their ability to survive and their ability sometimes to thrive, uh, and where do I say they did what they could with the tools they had, and it's my job to do better because they created a space for me to exist, and where do I hold them accountable, and what do mm -hmm. I need to forgive, what do I need to let go of, what do I need to make right on their behalf? So I think sometimes we engage it as a very romantic thing, and it isn't necessarily. Yeah. Um, but 
it's also really profound and powerful and can open up all sorts of stories and connections that have been withheld from us because this this country in particular, but the economy in general, thrives on us being disconnected, being disconnected yes. from each other, being disconnected from our origin stories, being disconnected from the legacies of the freedom fighters that came before us, um, all of that. And so just that act of connecting, I think, yes. is really profound. As well as being disconnected from ourselves, too. Yes. And like what is, you know, what's offered to us than what's possible. Exactly. Exactly. There's so much material there, just and like so much to explore as well. And I think yep. it's definitely applicable applicable to like absolutely everybody. Oh my gosh, it totally is. There's some really exciting stuff. And it's been really interesting to watch who ha who I've talked with who's come at it with great enthusiasm and uh, even gratitude and who's come at it with great anxiety. Yes. Um, and it's really interesting to, to reflect on how both of those are understandable responses. And <laughs> I'm excited for some of my, um, for some of my white friends who have been kind of saying, well, what do I do oh, with the fact sorry. that I'm, oh, did you lose me? Uh, yeah, it's just a moment. If you would just go back and if you could please repeat what you were just saying. Yeah, so I'm really excited for some of my uh, white friends to who have said to me, well, what do I do with the fact that I'm just a mutt? For them to get to realize who they are beyond this construct of whiteness, um, one of my friends... Yes. Yeah, one of my friends who said this to me is from Oklahoma, and I'm like, have you ever thought that Woody Guthrie is one of your ancestors? Like... Your ancestors aren't just biologically constructed, right? Um, your ancestors are the people who shared the soil with you, who had different ways of engaging the world, whose uh, work of liberation is something you get to claim. Uh, I think there's something really powerful about that. And I have to do my own work, right? I'm South Asian, um, mixed race South Asian. My family are Brahmins. We may have gone through a lot of horrors. We may have survived some really awful stuff at the hands of colonialism, mm -hmm. but also within our context, um, we were we were rural. We didn't have a lot of resources, but we always had land. Mm -hmm. um, so, what does it mean that we always had access to land and the privilege that goes along with that, and the position we held uh, within? You know, in communities that had nothing, we always had a little something. Mm -hmm. um, and so what's some of the work I have to do to make right uh, all of the things that my ancestors benefited from, right? Mm. So, yeah, so there's a lot of complexity to it, and it's really exciting. And I'm curious to see um, what possibilities for solidarity actually emerge out of all of us doing our own work. Yes, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I look is. forward to reading that. <laughs> <laughs> so that we could talk a little bit about the upcoming event that you had also right. and said was like tied into the book. It totally is. So yeah, I am really excited. And you may have already talked to people or you may know people who have gone through this program, but I'm mm -hmm. really excited about the fact that 
I got to be one of the spring residents, artists in residence, uh, for Radar Productions' Show Us Your Spines program. Yes. Uh, it's, I figured you probably knew some folks who had gone through it, yeah. Um, so it's done in partnership with the San Francisco Public Library, which not everybody knows, has an LGBTQIA archives. Um, and so this residency connects um, queer and trans people of color artists with those collections of those archives and they personally curate you know we say here's the area i want to focus on and they curate uh materials for us to research over the course of about a month wow. and then we put together a performance piece that gets showcased and the showcase is april 22nd 6 p.m pacific um and it's on uh it's on the twitch channel for the stud uh, is where okay. you can find it. Yeah, so okay. that's really cool. It's another partnership. They also partner with the stud. Excellent. Yeah, and so my piece is actually about this subject. It's about connecting with the stories of queer South Asian immigrant ancestors, because mm. I was really hoping to tap into some of their wisdom to ground me. Yes. Um, now, what was mind-blowing, I was not expecting this, uh, was the very amazing curator of those archives, Mason J. Uh, yes. Oh, you know Mason, yay! Yes. Mason's been on the show before. Of yeah. course they have, I love that. Um, so, so Mason did this really great, um, you know, check-in with me and with all, all four of us. And, and at the end of kind of saying, so here are the materials I'm gonna pull for you. Mason also did a card reading to solicit mm. the wisdom of the ancestors. Ooh. And Mason said that what the ancestors were telling them uh, to tell me was it would be very easy for my project to get wrapped up in and consumed by shame, by their shame or even by mm. my shame. Mm. And that what the ancestors wanted me to focus on was stories of joy, stories of resistance, stories of their power. Mm. And I thought, oh, sure, of course. That's how I do my anti-racism work. That's going to be easy. Um, silly ancestors, don't they know I already <laughs> do that? Um, and then I realized that to tap into the story of queer South Asian ancestors on the, in this area, the primary resource I had, thanks to a couple of friends who do this work, is because of their prison records. Mm. The only reason we know they existed and we know that they were engaged in same gender love or same gender sex was because they were sent to San Quentin for quote unquote crimes against nature. Mm. And so it turns out the ancestors were not as stupid as I thought they were because they were like, yeah, you're going to confront the fact that the whole way that South Asian male in particular identity was constructed in this country was deviancy and not real manhood and corrupting of real American men, right? That was how mm. the court discussions always went was how these deviant men 
who weren't really men, um, were trying to destroy American, which meant white, young men, and trying to pull them into this depraved lifestyle. And so there was something about, you know, we talk a lot about how Asian women are exotified and how that's weaponized against Asian women. Um, mm -hmm. In that time when in this country, for the most part, people were still thinking in a gender binary, uh, manhood was brought into question because of orientation. And that intersected with very much with um, with race and mm -hmm. um, historic location. And you see the photos of these dudes. They're big, buff, hardworking, like farmhands and construction workers um, who are being classified in a very different way than what their presenting um, appearance would indicate. Mm -hmm. And so there was something about, I mean, it brings to light how ridiculous the constructs of race and gender are um, and the binaries yes. uh, uh, around gender as well. And so to sit with those images, to read those court documents and to think, Where's the joy in that story mm. gives me a chance. And this is not something I have spent a lot of time doing in a public way. Gives me a chance to sit with if they took that level of risk. Yes. What was the joy of that physical connection? What was the joy of mm. that sexual connection? Um, and to really honor how powerful that is i think is pretty amazing and has something to teach us yes yeah yeah so i mean dude i only got like 10 minutes to uh do a piece so i don't get into tons oh. of detail but you know they're just getting to delve into that subject was really mind-blowing to me i don't know if that brings up stuff for you because you've done a lot of uh research into some of this kind of stuff as well maybe slightly different but you know aligned a, a little bit yeah yeah it's um like as far more as far as like the history of queerness goes yeah oh sorry it's been cutting out a little bit um okay um yeah. so yeah i mean it's it's certainly even i guess the best way i can relate to it right now is just in terms of like i'm 40 and seeing what's changed in the last, you know, few decades, or I mean, I came out in high school, so I'm thinking about like what's come, what's changed since then in terms of homophobia and transphobia, and yeah. like my own internalization of those, unfortunately, which is like ubiquitous, especially despite growing up in or around uh, cities and being raised by fairly leftist, open-minded people. Still, like these messages of anti-queerness are so, especially in the 80s, they were like so, like they're everywhere in the media, like through politicians. And then it, it's so difficult not to internalize some of those messages, even if yeah. there is um, so much that's trying to counter that. And of course it all just ties into colonialism and white supremacy. Yeah. And it's, so thinking about what's changed, you know, since, younger which is you know so like what what folks now who are growing up have at least as like visibility for instance with media which i, I know definitely is a whole conversation on to its own and also it's like wow there are like trans characters played by trans people on yep. this show 
that is fucking awesome. Yep. You know, us trans men, we got, like, Hillary Swank. So, yep. like, this is, like, there are, you know, steps in the right direction. Oh, yeah. Obviously, visibility is not everything, but it's, like, oh, wow. And then I think about with the, with the I just saw this great documentary called uh, Wojnarowicz about David Wojnarowicz, who was a, a queer artist in the 80s, and, like, a lot of what he was talking about then was is still going on, certainly politically, but with all the homophobia around the HIV and AIDS crisis yeah. and what folks then were going through. And then, you know, just thinking about, like, when, you know, folks could be arrested for, like, separate, like, being arrested for cross-dressing, cross and I'm using quotation marks, listeners. Yes. Um, and just how, like, and police raiding gay bars, which I know they still do, but, like, sure. still how criminalized uh, queerness has been. And so, so I'm yeah. probably going, there's, like, there's, like, so much to get into here, but just yeah. how the, the history of people's bodies have been policed and it's still happening. It just maybe looks differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was pretty uh, uh, revved up. It's about a that. lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And there's something about, I mean, you're talking about internalization. Like the fact that Mason said the ancestors were like, pay attention to your own shame. Don't get sucked into it. Like that's mm -hmm. a thing. Right. Um, and so to think about what, so many people before us have sacrificed so that we could push harder for more is pretty amazing. And so I tend, I'm, sorry, I'm finding, oh, sorry. Sorry, if you just repeat that, it just, uh, it's, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I really appreciated that Mason let me know the ancestors had told me to be aware of my own shame in this process yes. because that internalization is a real thing. And so I found my, I have found myself recently paying a lot of attention to how much gratitude I can extend to the people who went before who took such huge risks and were, yes. were so bold and brave whose stories I'm only beginning to learn. Um, yes. Because they made it possible for us to fight even louder for more. And I right. think that's pretty amazing. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. That we're, part of the reason that we're here is that because of other folks were able to be out and yep. took risks and were often punished for it. Yep. Absolutely. And oftentimes it. And I think about that as a as a trans person quite often, just how things were not easy. However, they're so much easier in terms of accessing medical care and finding community. Yes, yes, yes. And there are people who made that possible, right? Absolutely. Love that. And I think that, yeah, I think the idea for all of us is that we want to make it so the next generations have it easier. And yes. There's always so much work to be done. <laughs> There's so much work to be done. And I mean, it, yeah. I'm, I'm laughing about that, but I mean, 33 states. I, I'm sure you've done shows just on this subject, and I'm not the expert on this, but like um, 33 states uh, trying to move through anti-trans legislation right mm -hmm. now, right? Yeah. It's yeah. sickening. It's... Uh, it's disgusting and it's cruel. I mean, I run out of adjectives each time. Yep. It's, 
as well as it's lazy. I mean, they've gone to the effort of saying, who is it that we can get the most collective contempt for? Right, uh, right. And let's just do that. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, on top of it being just, yeah, there are no adjectives, but like anti-human and just absolutely deplor deplorable, it is also just profoundly lazy. Because mm. um, they can't say, here's what we're for. Right, right. They don't care about the health care, the health of even cis women, because nope. they let all these predators out. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, when you say we have so much work to do, it's very, very true. And that's where some of my strength is increasingly coming from, is who are the people before who did this, right? Like, including people mm -hmm. that I had heard of and didn't know the story, right? Like, I celebrated Polly Murray as a radical queer feminist, and I'm only learning. Oh, there's more to that yeah. story, right? Polly Murray yes. was a trans person without access to um, all of the things that would have made that more possible to live fully into, right? Um, mm -hmm. And Polly Murray was, I mean, we, in some ways, we have Polly Murray to thank for Brown versus Board of Education and all of these mm -hmm. major civil rights victories because they were one of the most brilliant legal minds of their time. Um, how amazing is it to now learn that was somebody who was paving a way? Um, for me, in my research, one of... Oh, sorry, did you lose me again? Or can you hear yeah, me okay? Uh, now I can. You were saying <laughs> to lose one of... Oh, technology. Lose one of the... Oh, now I'm losing you. Do you yeah. think it? Do you think it would work better if we turned our cameras off? I know that that's not necessarily oh, sure. a guarantee. But worth yeah, a try. try. Yeah. I hate doing it, yeah. but. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. They say that that sometimes improves bandwidth. I have no oh, idea. Oh. Okay. Yeah. It's worth a shot. Um, Definitely. Thank I'm sad not to get to see your face, but. Um, so, okay, uh, yeah, what, a, what an amazing gift it is to learn that Polly Murray was out there fighting uh, for trans rights, somebody who was one of the best legal minds of their time. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in small ways, I mean, in big ways fighting for women, in big ways fighting for black folks, in small ways trying to help us understand different ways of understanding gender which is part, mm. of, part of the work, right? Um, yes. For me, because I, I, am, I am a cis woman, um, tending more towards they than she these days, but still a cis woman, um, with, who has never sat well within traditional constructs of womanhood um, or what it means to be a woman. As I was doing my research for this and this did get mentioned very briefly in um, in the showcase piece next week. But um, as I was digging through uh, queer South Asian ancestors, I came across a queer East Asian American ancestor, uh, Margaret Jessie Chung, who was the first American-born uh, doctor of Asian descent in this country. And 
She... Can you re repeat the last name, please? Yeah, Margaret, sorry, Margaret Jesse Chung, who okay. was born in San Francisco in, or maybe, yeah, in Santa Barbara, uh, but moved to San Francisco in like 1889 and became the first female, well, became the first American doctor of Asian descent, Chinese descent mm. in this country, was a woman was the most dapper dresser you could possibly imagine, was constantly having affairs with any woman she could get her hands on, was, uh, yeah, totally, drove drove a sports car at, like, absolute maximum speeds through the streets of San Francisco in the uh. 1920s. I mean, she's like, I'm like, I wish I had that level of swagger. And she's doing that in the 1920s and the 1930s. She wow. was rumored to have had uh, an affair with, I'm trying to remember, um, a famous movie actress while they were both raising funds for the boys during World War II. Awesome. Um, She's a legend, and this is like in the 1920s. She dressed better than I dress now. And her way of reshaping what gender meant mm -hmm. uh, all that time ago is part of why I'm allowed to say, hey, not femme, not butch. Um, I'm, I'm functioning in this different space. Yeah. Um, and how great is it to know that there are people who did that work Maybe not on our behalf, but functionally on our behalf. Uh, mm. That brings me a great deal of comfort when I'm like, I feel like everyone keeps trying to put me in a box. I'm like, I bet they tried to put Margaret Chung in a box too, and she wouldn't let them. Yeah. So it gives me a little more strength for my days. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, there's so many folks out there that we just don't know. Yeah. There, And it's also just about the selective retelling of history exactly. and who gets celebrated and who doesn't who gets a movie or 10 movies made about them, yep. who gets taught in schools. And there's so many pretty much other folks who it's just, uh, I don't have the words for it, but yeah. I would love to learn more about. Yes. Yes, exactly. I hear rumors that there's an excellent documentary about Polly Murray through a trans affirming lens. Ah. Um, yeah. Apparently it, Somebody I met on Tinder was telling me all about it. Uh, oh. <laughs> that it came out at the, I think it was a, person. yeah, I know, right? Um, so it, it, apparently it came out uh, 2019 or 2020. It was featured in the San Francisco Film Festival. So oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to dig that up. Yeah, there's so many ancestors that uh can give us strength for the really hard work we have ahead of us because it is it's hard work it's still hard work yeah i mean there's yeah there's so much to push back against uh -huh. that's what i'm just finding is just it's like it's this on there's like an ongoing like onslaught of state violence yeah and it to have time to even heal from past trauma and right also just rem remember to like enjoy the earth and yeah be joyful and appreciative and how yes. to do everything at uh, simultaneously sometimes and to take a break because <laughs> it's hard not to i definitely get into that rut where i'm yes. doing the twitter updates because i don't really trust most um i don't trust any corporate media but i don't yeah. trust any mainstream media certainly and like mm -hmm. you know reading about like what's happening in minneapolis right now or brooklyn center and yeah it's hard to, you know, where does one get to the point where it's like, oh, just by me reading about this, I'm not necessarily 
sure I might be sharing it with people, but I'm also not. So where's the where's the point to kind of not necessarily disengage, but to um, I guess recognize one can't take on yes. everything at the same time. It's interesting because this is the thing that I keep pushing. So I do a lot of anti-oppression work and anti and particularly anti-racism work. That's really um, really where I focus a lot of my energy. And mm -hmm. I just I just taught this online course. Well, I have an online course that is available for people to take uh, oh. at their leisure. Um, but I did uh, back when it launched simultaneously facilitate a series of conversations to go along with it. And um, one of the things I push folks to do is say, it's okay to choose the thing you're going to focus on. And mm -hmm. I think that that is terrifying to some folks because they're like, but then I can't do all the things. And I'm like, if you try to do all the things, you're not going to do them well. Yes. And if you choose the one thing and do it well, chances are it will end up connecting with the other issues, right? Like, there's yeah, a. Because everything's connected. Exactly. There's an LGBTQ church that I've done a little bit of work with in Fort Worth. They are an. Because. I mean, God bless anybody who's doing LGBTQ affirming church work in Fort Worth, Texas. Mm. That is amazing work. Um, and they invited me out a few years ago to do a little intersectionality workshop with them, uh, partly because the pastor was feeling very concerned about the fact that they weren't doing enough around Black Lives Matter. Um, and she wanted the church to recognize that they needed to broaden their focus. And in the mm -hmm. course of the conversations I had with them, at some point I said to the pastor, hey, if you stay with your focus on advocating with and on behalf of LGBTQ folks um, for basic civil rights in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you're going to end up dealing with homeless trans youth. You're going to mm -hmm. end up dealing with the intersection of black and gay and trans issues uh, around police brutality because um, trans black folks are dealing with police brutality on a higher level than mm -hmm. um, than other folks. If you're doing that work well, you're going to deal with immigration issues because there are so many queer and trans immigrants um, being abused by the immigration system just a few miles south of you. Um, yes. You don't actually have to say, we're going to do this and this. If you do the one thing well, it's going to force you um, to deal with the other issues. So I don't know that we have to apologize for saying, here's the thing I work on, and that's part of how we build out our solidarity. I think when we try to do all the things, it can be really depleting, really demoralizing, and incredibly lonely. So I think that there's a value to us connecting with other folks doing the thing we work on um, yes. that gives us energy as well. So that's kind of a thing I've been talking a lot about. And it's, like I said, terrifying to folks to hear me yeah. say that. Because yeah. it feels like then I can't do all the things. And I'm like, how, are, how well are you doing all the things right now? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, thank you for that. Maybe it's permission giving. I think I like to think it's empowering. I like to think that we bring more power when it's concentrated, and there's a value to that. Definitely. 
<sighs> so now I'm thinking about, you know, which areas are so definitely someone who likes to, um, not necessarily likes to, but I feel like going from either place to place or subject to subject in terms of yeah, just being aware of what's happening. Oh, yeah. I think that's valuable, though. I mean, it is to know the know all the stuff. Sure. Mm -hmm. And to be OK with the fact that I can't be the lead person on every single thing is also oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> I personally do not want to be the lead person on anything. Well, yeah, that's um, fair. Just, you know, just like wanting to show up as I can. Yeah. It, oof. I, I think for, for some folks, it's just, uh, it's a just recognizing and witnessing what's going on. It, it's, yeah. there's, there's so much. So, you know, the other, do I have time to do one other tangent? Cause I know this has been like tangent after tangent already. Sorry, can you repeat that, please? Is it okay if I do one more tangent? Oh, you can do many more tangents. <laughs> Don't limit it to just one. I feel like time. I've done a lot of tangents already, so that's great. Um, so, I, you know, it's interesting because I think um, wanting to be seen doing the right work sometimes mm. influences us. And I mention yes. that because... Like I said, I do a lot of racial justice work, but as far as my work in the streets, um, the work I do kind of in movement spaces and public spaces is much more around worker justice. Mm -hmm. um, and I mention that because I've gotten arrested with fast food workers on more than one occasion, largely because they've said, we need a clergy person to risk arrest with us because if we get taken to jail, um, we want someone in that space with us well, because it reduces again. the, oh, sorry. Um, it, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Roman. It's so hard. I apologize. Can oh, you not no, hear me? No, no, please don't, please don't apologize. It's the technology. <laughs> um, you were saying that you have been arrested with fast food workers because they said they need a clergy person. Yeah. So, yeah. So fast food workers have said if a clergy person goes to jail with us, the likelihood of abuse goes down mm. considerably and because they know we have a public outlet. So I, I have done that on more than one occasion. When mm -hmm. the movement for Black Lives really uh, took off, a number of my friends were in the very center of planning some of the actions that were really disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I got invited to a rally one time, and it was only once I was there that I was like, oh, the rally's a decoy for the fact that they're going in to shut down the, um, the courthouse uh, or to disrupt the activity in the courthouse. And so all of my friends are sitting in a circle in the middle of the courthouse while I'm out at this rally, and I had total feelings about it. I was like, don't they know I'm down for the cause? Don't they know that I would risk mm. arrest too? And then I was like, oh, actually it's okay that my primary place where I do the biggest, boldest work is with workers. And they know that. And so they've yes. said, hey, for this one, just be a crowd builder. We've got it. Um, and so there was a little bit of me that was like, oh, I was worried that they didn't see me as essential to the work. They didn't see me mm. as willing to show up for them in that way. And so... I, I had a moment of kind of confronting the fact that um, my mother's favorite kind of Bengali saying uh, that she and I quote to each other a lot is, 
it is not enough to do the thing. It is being seen to do the thing that matters. Um, and I mm. think I have internalized some of that, right? And, yeah. and when they say that, it's like, it's not enough to wash your hands. The family has to see you wash your hands Got for it, it to count. Otherwise, they'll make you wash your hands again in front of them. Uh, and so, and mm. so I realized I had internalized some of that. Um, and so my desire to be seen, to be in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives, was getting in the way of the way I could actually be useful. Yes. Um, so I've been thinking about that a lot lately, is how much of me wanting to be a part of all these things is me wanting to make sure people know I'm the kind of person who mm -hmm. shows up for those things. Yes. So yeah. I'm just going to keep showing up for the people who want me to show up. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll, I will, and I will uh, take my position in the back of the crowd and the other places. Yeah, that's important too. It's quite relatable. It makes me think a lot about ego in terms of activism, yeah. which I know is has been often a topic of conversation, and I think especially for us white folks, where there's yeah. that like white savior piece that comes in, and also just other. I think also with folks online too, where it's that the cause and people who end up making it more about themselves than about what they're fighting for. Yep. and how to kind of detach from that. And I think also part of that's just due to what we've been taught, where we haven't been taught about solidarity and communities working together. We've been, talk about, we've been taught about this one leader here and there. Um, I remember growing up learning yeah. about Rosa Parks and not learning about the, that the bus boycott had been ongoing and people have been doing this for a long time. Yes. So I think it very much leads people uh, myself included, to be this, this idea that, oh, it has to be just this one person and instead of really working with one another to do it together. Yes. I think one of the reasons that William Barber is one of my heroes is because mm. anytime somebody calls him the next Dr. King, he gets yes. really mad. <laughs> yes. It's not just that he's being humble and he's like, no, no. He's like, no, that is not how movements work. Movements right. are destined to fail if you make one person the center of them. Um, yes. And so I'm really grateful for that uh, wisdom and that modeling. Um, mm -hmm. And even so, we have a tendency to do it. So here I am being like, and that's why Dr. Barber is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, definitely. There's uh, there's so much good. Hello. Yeah, I can still hear you. Okay. Okay. A sound effect in the background. <laughs> uh, fun with technology. Really? Yeah, there there's so much there's so much here to, to discuss certainly, and I think also just with organizing via social media now, and then what's safe and what's not safe with surveillance. Yeah. And in some ways, I think perhaps I'm taking this conversation in a different direction, but when I've heard or read about organizing like in the 60s and 70s with, oh, people were just making photocopies and there wasn't so much surveillance and people didn't have cell phones. And so in some ways it was easier to get away with it. Not just say get away, but like easier to organize. I mean, there was surveillance then, but like not to the extent that are, there is now where, uh, you know, our phones could be listening to us uh -huh. and there's cameras out on every street corner. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. And... Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I've been watching some of the conflicts that are playing themselves out within 
the modern day civil rights movement uh, where mm -hmm. people are dragging each other and people are defending yes. each other. And somebody recently, somebody who had lived through the 70s, through the Black Power movement was like, y'all, this is just an old school co-intel pro strategy. Yeah, um, to get everyone to pit fighting us against each, each other. other. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's been really interesting to kind of watch people say, I am 100% sure that this has been, this conflict has been generated um, mm. to, to diminish the power of the movement. Yes. Um, so I do think that it was possible to dip your toe in and back out um, in the 60s and 70s and be a little bit less visible. Um, mm -hmm. I think it is still very possible today to do that um, because I think we still get to choose the level of engagement and uh, that we, yeah, we get to choose the level of engagement and the level of risk in most of the actions we participate in. Mm -hmm. So, and it's interesting because I, I was trained in faith-rooted organizing by Alexia Salvatierra, and she always makes us talk about democracy. And she's like, you can say what you want about all of the ways that democracy doesn't work in this country. She's mm -hmm. like, y'all, I used to organize in the Philippines. Mm. You don't know what not democracy looks like. Mm. Um, and so there's a certain element of, if you are risk averse, there are still places in the street for you. Um, because there are actions that um, that run a low risk of being surveilled in those ways. So I kind of yes. feel like there's still plenty of spaces for risk intolerant folks to participate if they want to. Um, yes. yes. And I also think that there are horrific things happening to people that don't need to because of the police state, right? Like Seattle's of a course. great example of that. Um, or what's happening in Minneapolis right now is a great yes. example of that. So and what two was things happening in Portland last summer. Yep. Oh, I said Seattle and I meant Portland. I'm. Oh yeah, yeah. Stuff oh, happened in Seattle, Seattle too. too. Yep. But and Portland was ongoing for yeah. like a month at least, more than a month. Um, so yeah, and what's happening in Minneapolis now also. You know, it's interesting because I'm really grateful to some of our movement elders for making sure that we pay attention to global solidarity, even mm. when we're doing very local work. Mm -hmm. And I've got a student in one of the classes I teach who's from Burma, and mm. it's caused me to pay a lot more attention to the news going on in Burma right now. Some, yes. that, some people would call it Myanmar. The people I know who are activists call it Burma because mm -hmm. um, the history of it, as long as it's been called Myanmar, has been wrapped up in... Um, police state violence, um, although both names are okay, I think, depending on who you're talking with. Um, but what's going on there, day after day, fa whole families are showing up in the streets. I mean, mm. the, they, I think I have seen that over half of the country is engaging in, rebel, uh, in protest actions against the, uh, the military uh, coup. Mm -hmm. That's mind blowing to me. And the yeah. things that are happening are horrific. They are yeah. targeting children. They are blowing up families. Mm -hmm. The things that the military is doing are very, very reckless. And they, those actions are meant to convey 
we will be indiscriminate in our punishment of your resistance. And even so, millions of people are engaged in public acts of resistance. Um, and I think it's really important for us to be paying attention to what it means to fight for democracy. And particularly in yes. light of the fact that um, for those of us who have paid any attention, Ansung Suki was a huge heroine of a lot of hours when she was imprisoned. And then once she became prime minister, president, I can't remember which, um, she started collaborating with the military and doing harm to uh, minoritized groups in that and country. Who is this? I'm sorry, Ansung Sun Ki, uh, the who was a resistant uh, a resistance movement leader in Burma, uh, mm. and she wasn't allowed to go and get the Nobel Prize because she was imprisoned. Um, mm. And then she became the leader of the country, and everybody was so excited. Um, mm -hmm. And then she ended up letting the horrific violence against Muslims that has happened in Burma mm -hmm. over the past uh, five years. She she permitted it to happen, and I think we were all mm -hmm. shocked. And so she is a very imperfect leader. And during this political uh, during this coup, she was imprisoned again, and people are marching to demand her freedom. And mm -hmm. to me, that's actually a really important for us. Thing for us to sit with as movement folks because right now within US-based radical leftist movements, there's a lot of, I call it um, purity politics. Mm, there's a lot of yeah. only wanting the perfect leader and Which none of us is. Yes. And so to watch Burmese people risking their lives and their families' lives to demand the dignity of a woman that they know has has participated in some horrific stuff is important. Mm -hmm. um, it's important for us to pay attention to. So I'm learning a lot as I'm paying attention to some of our movement siblings around the country. I know last year everybody was talking about um, how we needed to learn to be water um, in the same mm -hmm. way that our uh, movement colleagues in Hong Kong were doing. I think we yeah. have some things to learn from our our uh, Burmese family as we do movement work now. Indeed. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. It's not something that's on a lot of Americans' radars. I think it's my proximity to, I mean, West Bengal, the region of India that my father's from, is not mm -hmm. that far from Burma. And so okay. it's just a little more on my radar than a lot of folks in this country probably. Yeah, and I mean, all the more reason to continue talking with one another because it's yeah. also just important to get accurate information. Like I've you really didn't have a full sense of what was happening. Right. And it's just, of course, it's so, just to get, like, firsthand uh, experience um, yeah. from that is just yeah. the, is the best option. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, we need to share these stories with each other. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm thinking also just about how, you know, growing up in this country is just how the history was so very much focused 
history, if you would call it that, I guess I, I should say rewritten history, focused on the United States and very little beyond that was maybe Europe. So just how whitewashed history became from a, from yeah. a very young age as children, like what we learn about. And then even with the news media and like what they talk about and the points of view that they have. So I think all just because they want to maintain power. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we have some opportunities to tell a different story. Um, this will be, I recognize that this might be controversial with your audience, and I want to be really clear that what I'm about to say is not a reflection on your beliefs or the beliefs of the show. Um, I also think we get taught a history of war in order to cause us to not learn how nonviolent resistance has actually achieved a great deal mm -hmm. um, on behalf of so many people. Um, and so I, I know that's controversial. I get a lot of flack for it in a lot of the movement spaces I get, because I think a lot of my colleagues think that my commitment to nonviolence is really naive. Um, and I would make the argument that it's amoral, not the moral, but it's a moral stance, but it's also, um, it's also a stance born of data that actually more long-lasting political change at national levels has been achieved through nonviolent resistance over the past hundred years than through violent resistance. Um, that's true in Europe, it's true in South America, it's true in Central America, it's true in North America, it's true uh, across uh, Africa. The one place it's not completely true of is Asia, but the interesting thing about Asian data is that neither violent nor nonviolent resistance yields a significant amount of sustainable uh, nationwide political change. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know why that is, because that's not my area of expertise. But, mm -hmm. um, but I mention that because I think we also get a and we also get a militarized history that teaches us um, that military resistance is the way things are changed, which mm -hmm. also makes us feel smaller and less effective because yeah. they will always have bigger, better guns than we do. They yeah. will always be able to wipe us out if they want right. to. Right. Um, and so I think that part of the way we get taught history is also a militarized history mm -hmm. that causes us to be unaware of how powerful our nonviolent resistance movements can be and have been. Mm -hmm. Like I said, not a popular opinion in my circles these days because they're like, you oh. just want to take away our guns so we can't fight them. And I'm like, eh, I just don't think you're ever going to win with the guns. Mm. Uh, so, again, not a popular opinion. Um, so I wanted to put in that disclaimer because it makes me a bad anarchist to feel that oh. way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's always new ways to be. I find a bad anarchist. Every day I find a new one. <laughs> It's, you know, but again, it's like not like a purity. I mean, that should be the right. opposite of it, right? Right. Like there are so many different ways and like different yes. experiences. And also every single person experiences the world in a different way. And we all have different, like it's just different circumstances and like how we're treated by state. Like it's, oh, yeah. it, make, it only makes sense that we would have varying uh, 
ideas and not even ideas because I mean this is like actual information that you're sharing but like perspectives on what works and what's best for you and it's I feel like it's just it's going to be as always just a diversity of tactics that will that will win and yeah I totally I totally uh, agree with that and also just with the militarization that's something I harp on a lot it's just not just the fucking military budget which this stupid ass administration is like yeah. also plenty of you know can't raise the minimum wage can't yet like <laughs> abolish student debt um can't ensure nope. everyone has housing or food or health care right. but you know the pentagon's getting more money meanwhile the u.s military is the biggest polluter in the world and also causes atrocities yeah. around the world yep <sighs> oh my point what was my point um <laughs> <laughs> it's going up Oh, the um, just not like just the budget, but militarism the, in general. Mm-hmm. Yes, and like the, the how police have become so militarized over the years, and also with like Hollywood and movies. And I love movies. I I, yeah. I love movies. I'm an actor, and like yeah, it's so disturbing that like so many of the you know films have started uh, coming back into production again, and it's still is very much like it's another cop show, it's another war movie, yep. and it's like. It's how the military industrial complex is also just pushed right into our bedrooms or wherever we have a TV or a phone in terms of enter- quote unquote entertainment. And even as actors, it's like, oh, great. I, and I personally refuse to audition as a role of a cop. I don't think I'd be a believable cop anyway. But <laughs> it, it's just like, wow, why aren't they? Where's the big hippie movie or something? Right? Yeah. It's like there's so many war mo- cops and, and soldiers and. Uh, it's just it feel it's just every aspect of our lives I feel is just uh, indoctrinated by this war propaganda. Absolutely, which reminds me, I think I know I've already told you this story, but um, I was in Chicago for doing a training when uh, "Sorry to Bother You" came out, and oh. so I reached out to one of my besties who's an anti-racism trainer with me, and I was like, "Yvonne, do you want to go see this movie? Because I really want to see it the weekend it opens." Yes. So we found a place that was showing on the South Side of Chicago, and we went to it. And after the movie, she was like, "I didn't know you talk through movies." I was like, "Not all movies, just this movie." Because like as soon as you came on screen, I was like, "I know that person. That's uh. my friend. Roman's in this movie. Did you know? I know Roman." And <laughs> And Yvonne's like, I'm trying to watch the movie. I was like, I know, but I want to make sure you see them. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I feel so um, grateful to have been in a film that was directed by an out communist. Like, yes. It's like, I mean, it's I'm grateful to get work anyway, but then to be um, in a movie that was so creative and so questioned the status quo. Yes. and have ardent leftist messaging. I feel like it was yes. so rare and such a beautiful opportunity. And also that it was filmed in Oakland. I feel oh just my gosh, so grateful totally to, to have had that opportunity. What was particularly joy bringing to me was when he gets into his dream apartment, it is mm-hmm. the apartment I had always fantasized about living in. It's the it's the same <laughs> building. Like it's kind of, yes. I, I call it Oakland's flat iron building. Um, yeah. And I was like, ah. Oh, Look at him. He's living the life I always dreamed of. You know, <laughs> it was really fun. I got, and then he's, you know, he's going out for drinks at the bar that I used to hang out at, and it's all just glorious. Yeah. Yes. Yes. As oh. well as it being such a prophetic film, it was just so on point. It was great. Indeed. And as, Indeed. And had a great soundtrack. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I was super excited that you were a part of it. I was like, it all makes sense. That's the perfect casting. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I loved it. It was like, yeah, not protesting. Just, yes. Oh, that was great. It, and so oftentimes on films, they you can't wear any buttons or any shirts with logos right. or anything. And I, right. You don't see it in the film, but I had like a messenger bag that had like a trans liberation now button. Oh and it was totally gosh. fine for me just to have. But even though it wasn't on screen at all, it was still just felt more, I guess, humanizing just to yeah. be um, able to be more myself, I guess, yes. rather than stripped down of any individuality. Yes, absolutely. Were you in, do I remember that you were in the scene where Kamau was there as well, or am I making that up? I don't believe I was there okay. for that scene. I was in one of, the, some... one of the office scenes and then the protest scene. Yes, 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 yes. Outside. Yeah, I couldn't remember if you were in uh in the mix during that scene or not, but yeah, anyhow, it had a lot of cameos that wouldn't have maybe been exciting for anyone except people from the Bay Area, but they were pretty great cameos. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully there'll be there'll be more soon. Absolutely. From Boots Riley. I yeah. hope so. It ended on a cliffhanger. I'm waiting for the sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean. Army Hammer, speaking of uh, some kind of on-point casting there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <sighs> anyway, I just <laughs> thought of that recently. I was like, oh, yeah. There he is playing a villain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <sighs> just out of curiosity, are there other films that you've been really proud to be connected with? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's me being, um, I don't know, maybe snarky. Um, I mean, I've, I've been always grateful to get work. It's so, you know, it's competitive and there's not as many productions up here as there are sure. uh, like in LA or New York, certainly. Yeah. And then especially as background, it's very, and then even for me, like as a, you know, someone who's on the mask, masculine end of the spectrum and, and white, like I have, more options i think for roles than other folks do mm -hmm. so even with that it's um it's still just very limited in terms of getting cast in anything so yeah. um, um but like as far as like nothing to the level of sorry to bother you that i feel like i was so proud of to be yeah. affiliated with or something i was so excited about yeah and yeah. um i mean maybe uh, yeah i'm trying to i'm thinking right now and it's nothing that like there's that show called chance on hulu with Hugh Laurie. Oh, neat! Um, Did you get to meet Hugh Laurie? Here. Um, I was in a scene where I was like behind him at a book stand, and actually there's a photo of it, a still that ended up being an Entertainment Weekly, so it looked like I oh had gosh. a friend found. So it looked like I was like doing like a lot in the show, but I was really just in the background trying to organize leftist books to be shown on camera. <laughs> yes. And, you know, we're always instructed, especially as, as background, not to like, talk to the stars or not right because uh, you might be fired and so there's that right. part of me that's also like eh. and that was also a number of years ago so i was like tempted to talk to him but i didn't say anything so i was just kind of looking through books and he was looking through books and that was that <laughs> um, and there was other show which i think didn't they were filming a pilot for it which was about this cop who on a dead cop who unfortunately comes back to life and <laughs> he uh didn't they ended up not filming it, but like the first day, I was like, uh, I was like, a it was like, I was photographing a cadaver on the beach as one does, 
And um, <laughs> the second day they were filming in Oakland and it was just like, the second day was just kind of rough and things didn't go so well. And as far as I know, they haven't made it. It was with Ryan Phillippe. So anyway, that was something where I was like, oh, I don't really want to be a part of uh, another, you know, propaganda type program. Right. Um, and it is a popular genre. It is. It really is. It's like, oh, I have another friend who's on Law and Order SBU. That seems to be, especially for New York actors, a very popular. Yep. And I, I get it. Like, work is work. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. No shade. That's that's the gigs that are going. Yep. Yep. <sighs> Although I could actually see you getting a role as a cop. Have you seen? Um, gosh, what's the name of that guy? Welsh actor. Um, who plays Christian Bale? Nope. Um, my Welsh knowledge is uh, uh I didn't know Christian Bale was Welsh. There you I go. Um so. I'm pretty sure I hope I don't get any hate mail from like Christian Bale fans. Like <laughs> Welsh. I'm pretty sure he was at least born there though. <laughs> no, the guy I honestly I'm thinking don't get any was, mail. He plays a cop in Bridesmaids. Oh oh that guy. I think he's Irish. Um are you sure? Yeah, he was in the IT crowd. Oh, that name is pretty Irish. I was sure he was Welsh. I mean, he's in this maybe... brilliant Welsh show called Moon Boy. Uh, huh? I just always assumed he was Welsh. Anyhow, don't. Yeah, so maybe I'll get the hate mail. Um, so... oh, and I was wrong here. Christian Bale was uh, born in the well, it says the UK, English, not Welsh. So. Hey, I was mistake. born in England. That doesn't mean I was English. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, he was born in Wales. There you go. You win. Wales. Christian Bale. Okay. Woo. <laughs> you also have to worry about your uh, pop culture knowledge, street, street cred. Seriously. Seriously. So, so for the record, I feel like if uh, Chris O'Dowd could pull off a cop, so could you. Yeah, I would. Um, okay, thank you. Accept the compliment. <laughs> yes. But wouldn't it I'm be great so, if you like, got to play a cop who was who became radicalized? And, yeah. Like in a good like, way. Sorry, not the other kind of radicalized. There's a lot oh, of those sure, cops. Sure. I mean, they're already they already are. I feel for the most part radicalized. <laughs> yeah. So. No. That's why I wanted to clarify. A cop who gets radicalized that's towards true. the good. <laughs> yeah. Like a Serpico type of thing, like turning in the 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 other cops yes! who are causing harm. Yes. Well. Taking down the session from within. I would encourage all the cops who listen to this show to like, go out and speak out against your, yes. your brethren who are causing great harm. Amen. Because when, what, what's the saying now? Um, if there are 99 good cops and one bad apple and the 99 yeah. cops keep their mouths quiet, then there's actually 100 bad cops. Yes, so we exactly. need you to be the good cops you want to be. Yeah, mm -hmm. all of all of the police officers who are listening to the show right now should do that. <laughs> Huge amount of cops. <laughs> <laughs> I hear I hear it's actually the most downloaded show among police officers. <laughs> um, they just love like all of the uh, the rhetoric I share about them and the anti-police songs that I play. Oh my gosh, I love it! I love it. <laughs> they all have our kinks, I guess. <laughs> That would 100% be a fascinating fetish. I'm, I mean, 
just be like taken down a notch or two by some <laughs> podcaster with a few thousand followers. Uh, yes. <laughs> doesn't have any I sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <sighs> oh, it's really good to talk with you. Likewise, Roman. I'm so glad I, we got to connect. Yeah, I'm so glad you reached out. It's it's that thing I know a lot of folks in. I mean, I'm definitely more of an introvert in general, but then this past year, it's been yeah. particularly difficult, I think, just to sometimes to reach out to people and then I'm not on Facebook much. And that's where I think I was able to connect right. with folks. Right. So I do feel like I miss out on overall, it's been beneficial for my mental uh-huh. health because yeah. Facebook has definitely I've had a lot of difficult times on there. But at the same time, I do miss out on seeing what people are up to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm really glad we connected. And it was surely because I was like, hey, I wonder if you'd like to come to my show. Uh, So so it was super kind of you to create this space. I'm really grateful. Yeah, it's so good talking with you. And I remember you were a guest many years ago. Back when uh, we were co-hosting the show together. That's right. So it's really nice just to visit again with folks. That was super fun. It was super fun to get to do it lo- like in the studio. That was yes. really lovely. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, within a few months, once it feels safer to do so, I hope to have folks in again. Yay. Oh, that's great. I'm so grateful you do this, Roman. Oh, thank you. I'm grateful for what you do. Thanks. I'm still figuring out what I'm doing these days, but I appreciate it. <laughs> you are, you're, I mean, you're sharing so much, like, really valuable information with folks and working with people on really at times can be like really difficult subjects and to have someone who is as knowledgeable and present about this is just so like it can be it's so healing and also with the books that you're writing uh will inspire i'm sure many many people i really appreciate that move forward with doing what's right in the world. And it sometimes it feels like there's the world is against us and then uh-huh. you know, have a conversation like this. And there's like, oh, there are so many people who are yeah. doing really incredible work and just are not even just the work itself, but just who you are as a person, um, making oh. the world a more equitable place. Thanks so much, friend. Yeah. Ah. Well, well, we'll post a link to the... Uh, the to the upcoming show oh yay thank you yeah i'm super excited about it and i really do still hope that you can come yeah definitely i'm looking forward to it i remember Ooh, i went i think i went the last month it was at the hormel center yeah look forward to you watching this and then hopefully next year it'll be in person once again i hope so too yeah oh, i'm ready i'm I'm ready to be fully vaccinated. I'm ready to be at full immunity. I've been dating someone for four months and we haven't gotten to hold hands yet. Oh. oh. So I'm ready. I'm ready for this all to be over. <laughs> Indeed. I hope you get vaccinated soon and can hold hands even sooner. Yes, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shonda. This has been really lovely. I've really had tons of fun, Roman. I really appreciate it. All right, I'm going to turn my camera on to see if, even if we get a little glitchy, at least I can say goodbye. Yeah, really good to see you. You too. Love Sending you, Sending you across the bay. Yay! Super I can feel them. Soon. I wish you could send me digital burritos from your neighborhood. That's really what um, I'd like. 
Okay, let me work on that. Let me add that to the list. <laughs> oh, all right, friend. I'll talk all to right. you soon. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. Big thanks to Shonda Ja for that wonderful conversation. And on our website at weeklyrev.org, we have a post that will be going up very shortly that has links to Shonda's website as well as the many books that she has written and also a link to the invite for Show Us Your Spines, which is a queer and trans BIPOC artist residency presentation, which is happening April 22nd from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. You can find that at twitch.tv forward slash stud sf. And if you would uh, please go to uh, Shonda's website. It is S-A-N-D-H-A, excuse me, S-A-N-D-H-Y-A-J-H-A dot com. And again, that's S-A-N-D-H-Y-A-J-H-A dot com. And we also have a link on, will be up on our website, weeklyrev.org, so you can find much more information. All right, we're going to take a bit of an extended music break here and then get back into a few news stories and action items that folks can take um, in regards to pushing back against some of the awful anti-trans bills that have been making their way around the country and also just sharing a bit of information about what's been happening at in Brooklyn Center. So, uh, yeah, extended music break, and then we'll be back in a bit. So please do stay tuned. This work is true. I got my baby, and let's go watch her with you. I met some movies, but she don't seem to be that. And then she asked me, why don't I come through a flat and have some supper? And let the evening pass by, I'm making records. Besides a groovy high five, I say, yeah, yeah. And that's what I say, I say, yeah, yeah. My baby loves me, she gets me feeling so fine. She loves me, she makes me know that she's mine. And when she kisses, I feel the fire get hot, she never misses She gives it all that she's got And when she asks me if everything is okay I got my answer The only thing I can say, I say yeah, yeah That's what I say, I say yeah, yeah We'll play a melody and turn the lights down low So the knock and see, we gotta do that, we gotta do that We gotta do that, we gotta do that And there'll be no one else alive in all the It's hard to tell you Because I'm trembling still But pretty baby I want you off on my own I'm ready To leave those others alone No need to ask me If everything is okay I got my answer The only thing I can say I say yeah yeah That's what I say I say yeah yeah That's what I say Yeah yeah It's hard to tell you 
Because I'm trembling still But pretty baby, I want you off of my own I think I'm ready to Cause all this alone No need to ask me if everything is okay I got my answer The only thing I can say I said yeah yeah That's what I say I said yeah yeah That's what I say I said yeah yeah That's what I say I said yeah yeah
so much we are back played a few songs here we heard yeah yeah by georgie fame and the blue flames in undertow by all vase warriors guns and money by Moran Devon, and that was track x by black and got a little bit more information here for you before we wrap up the show today thanks so again so much for tuning in please go to weeklyrev.org we've got archives of previous shows up there as well as links to articles that we've shared on the program and links to the playlist of the music because I've been playing music on the show every every week and it's uh, important to remember the beauty that's out there in the world still. I'm going to go over some information. There have been numerous protests against police uh, that have been happening constantly happening um, but in particular within the last week uh, last night there was a weekly Stonewall protest in New York City where people March for Dominique Lucius and right, and they shut down the Holland Tunnel for over two hours. NYPD and Port Authority cops arrived in big numbers and considered multiple forms of repression, but eventually decided to just back down. And there's some video footage on Twitter. And I share a lot of these uh, articles here on and pieces of information on Twitter, so you can follow me there at R O M A N R I M E R. And also in Brooklyn Center, folks have been protesting 
more nights, and the police have become more and more militarized. They've been shooting tear gas, which has been banned, but they do it anyway. They've been arresting people who come out of their homes in their bathrobes, being like, what the fuck's going on here? And rightfully so. And all of this just because uh, the police need to... Uh, they refuse to acknowledge that they are killing people and are wrong. And then in Chicago, a 13-year-old, Adam Toledo, was killed recently, and part of that was covered up. And it's just... It's there's no it's just fucking disgusting. I can't say anything about this that hasn't already been said other than that the police should be abolished. And yeah, gonna put that right there. And as far as um I see I'm reading an infographic here and uh it says uh U.S. state and local governments collectively spend more on policing than most countries do on their militaries. So here, is that fucking trillion? Is that really? Oh, it's billion. U.S. is at $731 billion over that, $751,400,000. And then for the U.S. police, it's uh, – $118 billion that the U.S. spends on police per year. Now think about how much those funds could be to, as things that we've mentioned here before on the show, provide people housing, health care, food, clean drinking water, education, art. How about funding the fucking arts? How about that? That would be pretty nice. So, uh, again, it feels like things are pretty fucking backwards, that the, all the funds... So many of the funds are going to militarization, which causes great harm and suffering. So, Ooh. take a deep breath, and it's we've got another twelve-ish minutes here before we sign off. So I did want to get to, and again, it's similar to what we were talking about in the conversation. There's so much to get to, and also everything is connected. Uh, especially with uh, state violence. So I did want to get to thinking about ways that folks can push back against the anti-trans legislation that's been uh, occurring very rapidly in over 30 states in the country. And this is a discussion thread on Reddit, and I will post a link on our website, weeklyrev.org. Also, if you appreciate the show and want to um, help support us, we have a Patreon that's up. Uh, if you go to weeklyrev.org, there's a link for the Patreon, or you go to patreon.com forward slash weeklyrev dollar a month or more be greatly appreciated so this is a thread what you can do to help stop the anti-lgbtq backlash many of you especially the trans people are asking what can i do the answer is plenty wherever you are you can help here is a plan step one awareness most people think this is about sports or saving children from irreversible surgery but what these laws really do is far worse than what most people fear the trans sports bans and bathroom bills open up all women, cis and trans, to invasive on-demand checks of their genitals 